Hello and welcome to the third episode of the It's All Sport podcast with myself, Joe, and my good friend and co-host, Anna. Today we're talking about an extremely topical subject, the forcible removal of millions of people from their homes who found themselves in refugee camps all over the world. The UNHCR estimates that over 110 million people are currently living in refugee camps, spending on average between 17 and 20 years of their lives there. As a sports and media platform, we have based our first season, Communities, on showing that sport can have a positive impact on some of the biggest problems in the world. And to do that, we would like to welcome Alexander Webb to today's podcast episode. He is the program director of Klabu, an organization that is using the power of sports to turn refugee camps into more than just mere places of survival. Klabu is building sports facilities and sport clubs in refugee camps. And they're particularly focusing on these camps that have been, in their words, forgotten. Camps that are in areas where humanitarian crises have been going on for years, and yet they're not regularly covered in the media discourse any longer. Okay, let's get into the episode. Sport podcast. Today I am joined by Arna instead of Alex. Alex is back in his home city of Buenos Aires. Uh, this is our new co-host Arna, a very good friend who usually works behind the camera but is today extending his talents to in front of the mic. Uh, he played in the same football team as Alex and I. He's a very good friend. Welcome to the podcast. Anna. Thanks a lot Joe, much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. And our other special guest apart from obviously Arna uh, is Actually, a good friend of ours, Alex, uh, who works as the program director at Klabu, uh, a fantastic organisation that we've given you a little introduction to in our intro. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Anna. Good <laughs> to be on the sofa next to you and uh, here in London with you guys. So, uh, looking forward to it. Beautiful. Uh, actually, Anna and Alex know each other. Maybe you could give me a little background about how that relationship started. Yeah. So, uh, really, we just studied together. We both did our masters at King's College here in London. And we've just become pretty good friends throughout the, the program. And it was actually quite funny because I remember when we finished our studies, that was when you, Alex, really looked into Klabo. You found the organization, you were quite intrigued by it, and then you, you, you finally applied. So maybe you can give us a bit of background how all this came along, what attracted you to the organization and how you actually ended up there. Yeah, um, so I was living in London for, for four years. And at the end of my master's, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think we've always all been in that situation, you know, a bit lost. Oof, still um, in that situation. Still in that situation, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was doing this. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and yeah, and I, and like I was getting a bit frustrated with my studies. I was like, how can I make this all make sense? And I always had a, a passion for sports. I think that's also something that Arne and I connected on. I was never at Arna's level, but always a, a love for, for football and for sports in general. And yeah, I remember I was actually in the library at King's with you, probably trying to finish that dissertation in the last weeks where we were there every day at eight. And what a time. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was like a factory in there. But, um, <laughs> and I clearly was not working on my dissertation because I was on Twitter and I saw a, a, a tweet by Paris Saint-Germain, the football club in, in France, uh, saying that they were um, 
joining hands with UNHCR, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and CLABU. And I was like, oh, what does this mean? You know, I know PSG, I know UNHCR, but what is this third word, which is a bit weird? Why is it in the same sentence as the others? And so I clicked and I started reading about what they were doing. And I, and I saw it as like the perfect mix of, of all my interests, something really meaningful in places where it's needed, in, in refugee camps, uh, but also in a fun, innovative way uh, as a startup with also a brand um, attached to it. So I really saw it as the perfect mix of, of everything I love. Uh, stalked the founder on LinkedIn. So I recommend everyone to, to really <laughs> push for things when they want it. Uh, sent him a message. Uh, a few emails later, I was in, I was in Amsterdam where Clabu is based and, and then now I'm working for them. So uh, uh, yeah. Sliding into the DMs successfully. Exactly, uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. That lovely cesspit that is LinkedIn. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it works, guys. So yeah, you need to. It does work. You need to push. Um, so we have given a little introduction to what Clabu is in the intro, but it'd be nice to hear from your mouth. What exactly is Clabu, and what makes them special? Yeah. So so Clabu is um, we call ourselves a social enterprise. So we're I mean we're a company, but with a. Um, with the purpose of making social impact uh, at the end of the day. Um, we're based in the Netherlands, but what we do is we work in refugee camps around the world, uh, usually in places which are called forgotten crises, where people sort of forget that people are, are living there. It's not in the news every day. It's not uh, Ukraine or now uh, Sudan or uh, um, Turkey and Syria. It's places where there are also many refugees, but people have sort of forgotten about it. Um, and where people stay for up to 20 years at times, um, wow. where Jesus, man. the basics are in place. There's education, there's shelter, there's food, um, there's clothing. All of that's very basic. But I, we believe that after a few years, there's a need for more than that. There's a need to actually live, to have dreams, to have hope, to be able to enjoy and, and not just survive. Uh, and that's where we thought, okay, can we use the power of sport to help people who are in refugee camps who are as talented as Arna is on, on the football pitch but just don't get the opportunities to, to, to play um, and are missing that sense of purpose and of community and uh, that's really what we wanted to, to focus on and that's our mission uh, and so that is um, an NGO so half of Klabu, half of the social enterprise is an NGO and that's what we do and the other half, and that's where it's a bit uh, different from other organizations, is that it's a clothing brand. So I'm, I'm wearing one of our shirts today. Uh, from the start, we thought, okay, we're, we're building these... Um, it's very nice. Yeah, it's a bit unusual and it's colorful and it, I think it represents what we're doing. It's a bit loud and uh, positive. Um, because, you know, we were building clubs in refugee camps because we wanted to create that club feeling. And we thought, okay, the next step for a club is to have a badge and a shirt. Every club in the world has one. Why, why shouldn't our clubs have it? So with the community in the camp, this was our first project in, in Kenya. Um, we created a badge. We created a, a pattern for the shirt, the colors that they wanted. Uh, and we created a shirt for them so that they could use it in the, in the camp and wear something that represented them, that they were proud of. Because uh, everyone in a refugee camp wants a football shirt and they'll usually yeah. find, you know, a random Manchester United shirt with uh, Tevez on the back, you know, or, <laughs> you know, like, but we thought, okay, let's switch it and have them wear a shirt that really represents them and that they can wear every day with, with pride. 
Um, so that was the start, and that's and then the business came from that side, which was okay. These shirts are nice; they work in the camps, but maybe people outside in Amsterdam, because that's where we're based, but also around the world, would want to also buy these shirts to support and to be part of the club, to be part of the fan club. So instead of them wanting the shirt of uh, Manchester United or, or PSG or Real Madrid, we want their shirt. And that's how we flipped it a bit. And that's how we created a, a brand and a business model that supports our projects. So the profits from the brand go to the NGO that is um, building these projects. It's a fascinating project. It really is. I mean, we at All Sports, our first season is based on the idea that sport is brilliant at fostering community. I was just wondering, what is it about sport that helps you in those refugee camps? What, what, what is it about sport that, that adds something that you can't get from other um, conduits, I guess? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, sport is, it's a bit corny and you've probably had this in every episode you've done, is, but it is a language that we all speak, you know. Um, in these camps, uh, there are people from all sorts of countries, all sorts of tribes within the same country, all sorts of religions who probably have nothing to do with each other but are having to live together in a place which is hostile, which is not where they want to be, and for longer than, than they want to be. Um, and so through sports, they can actually connect. And we've seen that in, in all our projects, but especially our, our first one in, in Kenya, where there are people from 13 African countries from around Kenya, and who are all living sort of separately in the camp, but then they meet on the football pitch or on the basketball court or at the volleyball. And then no one cares what tribe you're from or what religion you are or which country you are, or also why you're here. Like, did you flee uh, a, a conflict? Did you flee persecution based on your uh, sexual orientation? Uh, political persecution, whatever it is, no one cares. They're just on the pitch having fun. And for two hours or three hours or however long they're there, they forget about the situation they're in. They can escape. They can feel like, okay, I'm back to normal. I'm not a refugee because that's also a label that, you know, is at the end of the day, they, they were doctors, they were teachers, they were architects, they were um, chefs, um, and now they're refugees. And we don't think that they should just be refugees. They should be able to to be themselves again. So when they play sports, they, they get that feeling. There's uh, competition, there's camaraderie, there's um, uh, there are friendships that are born through sport. So that's really in a place like a camp where, uh, yeah, it can rapidly get tense, it can get frustrating. Sports can bring people together and actually um, help everyday life um, there. Man, that is, man, truly inspiring, honestly, really, really great. One thing that I was that I was wondering, and you touched about it briefly already, but the actual day to day, like what kind of activities do you actually do or provide? What does the club bring to the people? What do you do on a day to day basis with the people in the camp? Yeah, and how much are they also involved in basically curating a program for them? Yeah, no, really good question. I think that's also how we're a bit different from other NGOs. From the start, uh, we wanted to work in these places, but directly with the community. And that was something that the United Nations said to us at the start is you can come in, you can come, because having access to a camp is hard enough. But mm. So they gave us access and they said, the only um, uh, request we have is that you work directly with the community members who live in the camp every day and you don't send humanitarian workers from the Netherlands or from the UK or whatever who come and do it, but really um, empower the people who are living there so they can run the project themselves. 
And that's the key, and that's why it's this club feeling. Klabu means club in Swahili, the language of, of Kenya. And from the start, we worked with individuals in the camp. The first person was a guy called Isaac, a refugee from Congo, who was living in the camp with his family. He's a pastor, but he also loves sport. Um, and he wanted to run this project with a team. Um, and, you know, we support with setting up the project, with making sure that there's the funds for it and uh, that we can start it. But then it's really in their hands. And we have weekly check-in. We have a call where they say, okay, we did a volleyball tournament. No one liked it. No one came. But we did um, frisbee and people love that. And next month we want to organize a football tournament. Uh, yoga is something we want to try. So it's really their project. It's completely in their hands. Mm. And they come to us with ideas, with um, advice on what is going well, what is not going well. Uh, and we sort of have a role of, of, of mentorship, but as much as possible, we want to be hands-off. And it's really a club that is run by them. And so the start was sport, and mm -hmm. that's why we're here today. But uh, we, want, we saw a potential to um, our project, which was bigger than sport. So at the clubhouse in, in, in Kenya, um, we installed solar panels so that then we could have Wi-Fi and we could have lighting And it could be a place where people who don't only play sports can also come to connect, to learn, to be able to uh, use uh, internet. Um, and then through that, we could also have television to broadcast matches. So uh, every weekend, people go to the Klabu to watch the Premier League matches. They go on Tuesday evenings to watch the Champions League matches. That's madness. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And now also every Friday we have uh, something called the Kalo Battle. So the, the camp where we work is called Kalo Bay and they've called it the Kalo Battle. It's a music battle at the Klabu every Friday evening. We have a sound system uh, and, and rappers and musicians from the camp come and, and perform. Wow. So it's really a, a community hub based, uh, based on sport, but where everything else can also happen. And that's what we want is that it's not only the super athletic strong people who can play sports that come, but really that there's something for everyone. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's how it works. It's beautiful. I mean, sport is just that ultimate engagement tool. But then I guess once you've engaged those people, you can, you've then got their attention for other things. Exactly. You know? But yeah. would you say that um, in, these, in these communities that you foster, do you think sport helps to create role models on the pitch, maybe for like leadership. Or something. Do, you, do you see them getting more engaged in their wider community because of their involvement with, with Klabu? Yeah. No, I think, you know, everyone thinks sports is, is just sports and it's just kicking a football or using a racket or something. And, and unfortunately, it's still seen in that way by a lot of actors in, in, in the industry we work in, in the humanitarian field, that sports is, you know, not a priority. But at the end of the day, I don't care... Um, if someone is, is playing well or is playing badly or is winning, it's really the life skills that they can get from it. It's, as you said, leadership, uh, teamwork, uh, resilience, you know, learning to lose, uh, learning to come back from that, um, learning to trust as well. When you're a refugee and you've had to mm -hmm. flee your country, you've lost the ability to trust. You don't know who to trust. And on the field, you get to learn, you know, okay, I can, I can rely on that person or I can rely on this person. Also, having a referee in a match is super important. These are people who have come from maybe a conflict or something. And having a referee who says, okay, this is the way it's done, and, and it really helps. Um, and, and so all these skills that you get through sport are really what it's about. 
at the end of the day, that's the most important. But also having role models who um, we have one of our, our team members in Kenya. He's called Paul. He runs the clubhouse with the team. And now he's applied for um, a course at university online because at the club where there's Wi-Fi so he can follow it. And he's now got accepted in, a, in an American university to do an online journalism course. Amazing. And, you know, but that's through the skills that, I mean, that he had already, but that he could foster at the clubhouse by being responsible for a project um, and then writing stories because we'll talk about it afterwards. But with the brand, we try to do campaigns where we really shine a light on the stories of all our members in these clubs. So he writes up these stories about individuals, about their dreams, their hopes. And now he wants to be a journalist. And so that's ideally what our projects should lead to, you know. I'm just wondering in terms of engagement. Um, I read on your website that in the Rohingya um, camp, you have a third of your participants are female. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any difficulties engaging um, with different genders? I mean, obviously, with this camp, you haven't. With the third, it's, it's pretty astonishing. Mm -hmm. But have you, have you had to struggle to, to engage both genders at the same time? And yeah. maybe beyond that, sorry to interrupt, but also other demographics, you know, other age differences or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's it's really interesting, you know. I mean, we now operate in um, five different locations. We have a project in Kenya. We have a project in Bangladesh where the Rohingya refugees are living. We have a project in Lesbos, which is a Greek island. Um, and then two projects in the Netherlands. And what we see is that in all these places, there's a different challenge. And sometimes it could be demographics that we only get... Um, people in their 20s participating and no kids. So how can we engage the youth? Uh, other places where it's only boys and girls don't feel comfortable or have never been told that they can play sports. And then once we try to engage them, they still don't feel comfortable because they're mainly uh, men playing. So there, these challenges are everywhere. And I think, for example, in Kenya, where we started is um, really the girls have taken over the clubhouse and have made it their own and they organize activities every day. Um, and we really try in all our places to, to have that. We have a girls mobilizer in all of our teams in every camp, someone who lives in the camp and is someone who wants to go door to door, speaking to parents, speaking to men, for example, to raise awareness about female participation in sport. And, it, and that helps hugely. Um, and you're talking about the Rohingya. I mean, the Rohingya are a, a Muslim minority from Myanmar, extremely uh, conservative and very different to uh, the Muslims in Bangladesh, where they are now living. And when we set up the project and were working on it, everyone told us, you won't have a single girl in your project. First, they said, you'll never manage to build this project. But then they said, okay, you're managing, but you'll never get a girl in. And for us, it was a priority for us and our partners on the project, that girls had to participate. And so we were starting to think of ways of, okay, what should be done so that girls can feel safe? Should we make um, a team with only female staff that could work so that there would never be um, a male member of staff around when the girls want to play? Should we cover up the court so that no one can look in while the girls play? We were ready to do all of that to be able to, 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 to host them. Um, and in the meantime, we opened the location. And on the first day, a group of 10 girls arrived at the club center and they said, wow. I want a football, I want a badminton racket, I want shoes, I want a shirt. And they took over the court and the boys didn't say anything. They were trying to replace them, but, you know, they took turns. 
Um, the parents didn't say anything. The religious leaders didn't say anything. Everyone realized that at the end of the day, these girls are enjoying themselves and are coming home with a smile on their face. And they're in a place which is safe. The parents know that during the day, if the girls are at the klabu, yeah, they're safe. They're not just roaming around in the camp. Girls, but also boys. I mean, parents in general are reassured when they know that their child is coming to the klabu for, for the day. Um, but there, yeah, now we have a third of our participants that are girls, and we never thought that would be possible. Um, and it's beautiful to see that through sport, we can slowly, slowly, slowly change mentalities, you know, and, and we have a girls team in our project in Bangladesh that uh, became district champions. There had never been a girls team taking part in any sort of football tournament there. And then they, they started training and they became district champions. And we saw how that was changing um, perceptions in the villages and how men were seeing them. Uh, like, wow, our, our girls are now district champions. Nice, let's try to become regional champions. So uh, pride and um, recognition that at the end of the day, uh, if they're having fun, yeah, that's fine. And, and that's all I want. I, I mean, uh, I just want people to be able to enjoy themselves through sport and then learn all those things that we, we spoke about. Super cool. No, super cool. In one of the materials that you shared with us previously, that podcast, is said, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the average time for a refugee to spend in a camp is around 17 years. Yeah. I think that is something that people just can't imagine. I mean, that is almost like an entire life of a young person, right? Exactly. And you will obviously stand by the people's side and the company then. Do you have any kind of longer-term vision vision for the camps where you can maybe grow with the people, include them in all your programs and so on and so forth? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, as much as possible, we want uh, solutions to be found quickly in refugee camps. Um, however, the reality is different. People stay for much longer because their home country is still not safe. A third country will not accept them. Even the country that has hosted them says, okay, you can be here, but you can only stay in the camp. You can't integrate, you can't go to other cities. So people end up stuck in a camp. And that's why we want there to be more to everyday life. But we see, for example, our project in Kenya, which is now four years old. The team has grown with us. The members have grown. They are still part of everything we do. We're now working on a campaign We have someone who was in our original campaign in Kalubay four years ago who is now taking part, yeah. and he's really thriving. We did a, a campaign last year with Nike and one of our members from Kalubay, Lillian, who was with us in 2019. She, she was the star of the campaign. So how can you keep these people engaged is, is really essential. Um, we have, for example, uh, a project now in the Netherlands, in the east of the Netherlands, And when we started the project, we were working with the people living there in that camp. And I had a television, and at one point I turned it on. And Paul, who I told you about from Calabay, who's applying for his, or going to university, was on the screen and introducing how he runs his Klabu in Kenya to the new Klabu team in Ter Apel in the Netherlands. Because he has the skills, he knows how to do it, and I thought it was much stronger for him to tell people how to do it than for me because I'm not there every day so if we can use the knowledge that people are acquiring in the different places to uh, build other projects then I, I see that as, as a great step forward um, and then you know if we can eventually if these people can can leave where they are and either go back to their home country and maybe set up a similar project 
when they're home yeah. or um, want to come to another country and they call us and say, hey, um, we, we actually had someone who was from Calabay, from the camp. He then got resettled to Sweden. So, I mean, that's also a whole different topic. And you can imagine what happens in someone's head when they go from a, the desert in Kenya to Sweden. But, uh, <laughs> and, country. Yeah. <laughs> but he got there and he reached out to us through Instagram or email. Like I remember saying, hey, um, I used to go to the club in Calabay. I'm now living in, I don't know, Malmö or somewhere in Sweden. Uh, I'm part of a football team. Can we wear Klabu? I want us to yeah. be engaged in this way. And so that's incredible to have these bridges. Um, there's someone who comes every week to my program in Amsterdam, and he used to be in Lesbos in Greece yeah. at the Klabu in Lesbos. He then got asylum and he could continue his journey and ended up in the Netherlands, reached out to us and said, guys, I think Klabu's Dutch. I'm now here. Can I come see you guys? And he comes every week. And he's a star of our project there. So wow. that's really, for me, the, the best stories when someone, yeah. you know, stays involved. And at the end of the day, that's what Klabu is. It's a club. And I want someone who's in the US, who's a tourist, who gets a shirt, to feel the same way as uh, Lillian or someone in, in the camps, because we're all wearing the same shirt and we're connected through this. Yeah. So, um, wow. so yeah. that must it, be rewarding. It seems, it seems yeah. as if there's just uh, uh, an endless amount of links that are forged through that sporting element. You know, you've you got yourself to the people in the refugee camps, you've got the people in the refugee camps to each other, and then those in the refugee camps back to Europe. It's all over, but engaged with sport because it's that universal language. Yeah. Um, I wanted to quickly touch on um, your involvement with Paris Saint-Germain, which is what you actually um, kind of got inspired to join Club in the first place. How does uh, an involvement with a brand um, help Klabu? And, and, and do people in the refugee camps recognize this brand when they, when they, when they get introduced to it? Does, it? does it help you with engagement on the ground? So, so with Paris Saint-Germain, we have a partnership for the project in Bangladesh only. So they are not involved in other projects, but we really, um, with them, wanted to identify a place where it was most needed and where we could reach as many people as possible. And the camp in Bangladesh is the biggest refugee camp in the world. There are one million Rohingya people who are living there. Um, and so with PSG, we worked on that. And on the ground, as you said, the PSG brand in a refugee camp in Bangladesh on the other side of the world is huge. Every kid, there were so many kids wearing fake PSG shirts when I got yeah. there, you know, and with Mbappe on the back or Messi or Neymar. I mean, everyone knows about it, even though, as you said, 17 years a lot of people have only known life in a camp, you know, and especially in the case of Cox Bazaar, Bangladesh, where there is no internet, there is no television. People don't watch matches, but they still knew about PSG and they still oh. knew about Neymar and, and others. And so engaging with the people through the PSG brand in the camp is huge. And and that was actually, and, and to be honest, it was a conversation with the club of how do we want the project to look and to feel. Um, and in the end... Uh, right now, what we have is a project that is co-branded between uh, us and PSG, and it's got the PSG colors. And actually, and this is what someone at the club said to me, those kids want to be in the PSG world. When they arrive there, they feel mm. like they're at Parc des Princes. They feel as if they're uh, on a Champions League night. And when we record videos with the players who encourage them and say, I'm your teammate, keep playing, um, you know, uh, uh, stay in school, but go play and... The feeling that it creates for those kids is, wow, I, Neymar is speaking to me or uh, whoever it is. And 
and it gives them so much hope. So that's on when we engage with the people. It also helps with engaging with uh, local authorities and, and the UN and, and the people who manage uh, the camps to know that we have the PSG brand involved and a club of that magnitude that wants to support and is involved in the camp really helps to, to be able to do the project. If it was just Klabu, I mean, I, I love what we do, but it probably wouldn't have happened, you know, because we're, we're, we're small, but with a club like PSG, we can make this project happen and now have uh, many thousands of children who, can, who have a place to play and to be safe. So in the camps, it helps a lot. And then outside as well. I mean, in, in Europe, I mean, I found this job through PSG announcing it. And I'm sure a lot of people found out about Klabu that way or realized, okay, well now um, I've never seen an NGO partner up with a club on something like this. Um, so hopefully it gives ideas to other uh, sporting clubs and, and can lead to, to more people going further than just the football pitch or the transfers or uh, a new shirt, but actually see, well, my brand has value elsewhere uh, and can really help people in need. I mean, talking of brands, your club shirt that you've got at the moment, it seems to be kind of like when you say it's half of your business. It mm-hmm. starts with just kind of generating a club on the ground, but it's also used for selling outside. Well, I was wondering, how do our listeners get involved in this? Yeah, no. Um, so we have a website, we have a store in Amsterdam. We also sell uh, through Zalando, which is an online retailer in, in Europe. What we promise to customers is that if you buy a shirt, it's more than just yet another football shirt. It's designed with our communities in the club. So they create the badge that I'm wearing here. It's the badge for our project in Amsterdam, but each of our clubs has its own badge, its own colors, its pattern. So there's a story behind it. It's more than just a piece of fabric. Um, And the profits from our brand go directly to creating more projects and giving access to sports. So you're contributing. You don't have to give more money. You can pay to get a shirt that you can wear every day. You can get a lot of compliments. I'm sure Arne gets it when he wears every his shirt. Sunday. Every Sunday. <laughs> every single Sunday, man. So, um, so yeah, you can look cool and actually make an impact uh, and then be part of something bigger. You know, you can, you can just buy another uh, shirt by a big sportswear company of a, of a, of a club that you like, but this is something really unique. And, and when I go out in, uh, in Amsterdam and I'm wearing a shirt, you know, people come up to me either because they have one and they're like, oh, Klabu, I'm part of it. Or they've seen someone with it. They're like, oh, I saw someone in the gym. What is it? It's colorful. It looks weird. What, tell me about it. Um, or they're, you know, they're, they're super interested. And, and it's a conversation starter and it gets people speaking about something that's at the end of the day only going to grow, the refugee crisis. And, and if we can play a small role in changing perceptions and making people more aware while also wearing something they like, then that's, um, that's a win-win situation. So your, your listeners should uh, check our website out. And uh, <laughs> if they're in Amsterdam on a weekend, uh, come to our store. <laughs> they might be busy on an Amsterdam weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if they want to clear their mind a bit and, uh, and, and get, get a shirt, they can. Well, what a project. Well, thank you very much for coming down. Um, I don't know if you have this prepared or not, so don't worry. But uh, five words to describe your learnings from Klabu. Oh. Wow. I think uh, hustling, you know, uh, 
you just need to get things done. And it's great to have names like PSG and others involved. But at the end of the day, we're a super small organization and we just have to get things done. So hustling, belief in that what in what you're doing is is meaningful and actually will lead to something that helps more than just yourself, but uh, people who need it. Um, community, because, and, and this actually, it goes all the way back to the start of the chat. You probably won't remember, but um, when we were in London, I think there was an evening, we were having dinner, we were like, yeah, what do you want to do? And, and I had said, I would love to have a community space, but probably at, the, at, at that time, it was more like music or, or a restaurant somewhere or a cafe, having a, somewhere that can bring people together. And now through Clabu, that's what we do. We have a place where people can come together and, and, and just relax for a bit and, and, and enjoy themselves. I take a lot of inspiration from that. You know, I think the journey that you guys are on is, is absolutely incredible. And although, and although I've been quite familiar with what you did before we did the podcast, because obviously we, are in, uh, we have been in touch, um, having a session where we really dive deeper into um, the, the, the subjects that you're touching on is is truly inspiring and I think it's something that I personally and all of our listeners can really um, take something away from. Yeah. So thanks a lot. And I think just the last one, it, uh, and it may be not a word, but, you know, a lot of people think, wow, these problems are so big, you know, whether it's the environmental crisis or refugees, it's, oh, it's so big, what can I do? I, everyone can do a little bit, even if it's just buying a shirt, reposting something about Klabu or about a story of someone who is in a camp and has dreams and hopes that's enough. You don't need to do more. And people think it's too big or I can't. And, and today there are over 100 million refugees in the world. I mean, it's huge. And we'll never be able to reach everyone. We'll never even probably be able to reach a million. But if we can already improve the lives of a few thousand people or a few tens of thousands, the people's, that's already great. And so pick your battles and do them. You know, you, you can always make a difference. You won't solve everything. No one will. But you can make a difference if, if you try. Don't lose hope. Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. Right, we'll now move on to our conclusions. Thank you very much. guest so far yeah Joe, i absolutely agree super super fascinating and and what an inspiring organization and you touched on something that i think is interesting once more we can really see that sports can be used as a as a as a catalyst for change and exchange and that is something that i just found super fascinating about the club yeah it's absolutely amazing um not only that the project they're building is 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 trying to tackle such serious issues in, in in places where things just have got so extreme that you just kind of lose all sense of normality and reality in places where people used to be doctors or or, or mechanics or chefs or anything suddenly where is their identity you know in these refugee camps how do they differentiate themselves what what are they and what were they and what have they lost i find that element of it so fascinating because just that that sense of identity that you find on the playing field when you're playing sport I, I think is unique. I, I'm a different person when I play sport. I don't quite know who that person is, but I'm definitely different from other parts of my life. And I think I tend to forget about every other part of my life as soon as I start playing sport. Yeah, maybe I would f struggle to forget about quite how serious things may be in a refugee camp compared to what I deal with. But 
there's still something to be said there, I think, um, for how a, a team building exercise where you're, you're combating as other people almost just takes away every other part of your life and you're just focused on that. And when it comes to this identity bit, I believe that making a positive impact, they're changing the narrative, one that is mostly negative, right, of people pitying refugees and feeling sorry, which is obviously um, is important. However, Klabu manages to take a more positive approach and really highlight the capabilities of the people and emphasizing the, the, the unbreakable spirit of these people. And that's something that I find super refreshing. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, sport is just an amazing engage, engagement tool. But once you have engaged with people, where do you direct them to? And we've, we've had this on a couple of episodes before. How do you use that power of engagement for good? And the club are doing that in, in spades, you know, like not only teaching people English or teaching people language they need to know or, or just skills they need, but just helping people to have that opportunity that they may feel like they never would have had again when they find themselves in those refugee camps. A truly, truly inspiring organization and one that I'm very, very glad that we brought to the studio. I couldn't agree more. And on that note, thank you very much to our special guest, Alexander Webb. It was a pleasure having you on board. Uh, for everybody who has listened to this episode, I hope you enjoyed. Please tune in the next time and make sure you follow us on all digital channels. Thank, thank you, you very much, guys. See ya. <laughs>